Impact on Record is proud to announce that we will be hosting Yale's inaugural Impact Investing Conference, where we will be convening leaders, educators, and pioneers in the impact investing space. We are creating a community of impact. So join us on April 27th to share your perspective and learn more about where the future of impact investing is headed. The conference is sponsored by the International Center for Finance at the Yale School of Management, and we welcome you to join the conversation. To register, please visit IORImpactInvestingConference.com. Welcome to Impact on Record, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into impact investing. We'll bring you the stories about the deal makers, the structure of the deals, and most importantly, the impacted. This podcast is brought to you by The Dreamer. Hello. The Skeptic. Hey. And me, The Realist. On today's episode, we will be speaking to Nancy Fund. She is a founder and managing partner of Double Bottom Line, or DBL Partners, a venture capital firm that strives to combine top-tier financial returns with meaningful social, environmental, and economic returns. Nancy is a leading player in the area of impact investing and has served on the boards of Tesla and SolarCity. She works on many fronts to help build the impact investing field, and she's a Yale alum. For more information on DBL Partners, please visit dblpartners.vc. And we're going on record in three, two, and hi, Nancy. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. Um, And thank you for joining us today. So why don't you walk us through your background, how you founded DBL Partners, and what you do in your current role? Well, first, let me thank you for, for taking the time to talk about impact investing with me. It's my favorite subject. So um, let me just jump right in. We uh, founded the double bottom line practice while I was an employee of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase in San Francisco, where I had landed after the firm I worked for for many years, Hamburg and Quist, was acquired by J.P. Morgan. So the the, the first fund, the $75 million Bay Area Equity Fund that we raised, was part of a Bay Area initiative, uh, a business organization called the Bay Area Council, had the idea that back then, right after the dot-com era kind of had been in full swing, that the community groups felt that there was still not enough money being invested in low-income neighborhoods. And so the Bay Area Council said, well, we're going to hire a firm to raise and manage a fund that invests in venture capital companies like everyone else does, but pays attention to place and tries to distribute the benefits of, of entrepreneurship more broadly across the region. So that was the, the kernel. Uh, we we changed it a little bit as we went along, but and we added sustainability and other social metrics, but that was really how we started. And we raised that first fund. It was quite difficult to do because by that time, the Bay Area had really suffered from the dot-com demise of the early 2000s. But we got it raised, started investing, had some amazing entrepreneurs to work with, and and then sort of took it from there. And then in 2008, we spun out to create BBL and be independent from from the bank. So what we do is we combine, as as the double bottom line implies, we can apply, we we 
invest for the first bottom line, which is the rate of return and multiple on cash that everyone else does in our field, the IRR. Uh, but the second bottom line really sets us apart. Uh, we invest to maximize and optimize for social, economic, and environmental improvement in the sectors and regions in which we invest. And uh, in doing so, we feel that we are helping to show the role of, of new company in in solving a lot of the the, issue, the problems that that we have before us, so um, we believe after many years of doing this, um, fourteen or so, that the two goals, the two bottom lines, if you will, actually enforce and enhance each other rather than diminish each other, which is what some people thought in the early days. And when you're speaking to entrepreneurs, uh, what are certain things you look for? And um, what stands out in terms of like what you look for when you're making an investment and what will you not invest in? Well, we look for the same thing that most venture capitalists look for. We, we look for an amazing uh, entrepreneurial team uh, that, you know, we feel has what it takes to get through the ine- inevitable ups and downs of a startup. We look for a great idea that's uh, going to change uh, a market for the better and a market that's amenable to innovation, that's large, fast-growing, that's international in scope. Um, and and we look for the ability to inspire, to lead, uh, and to compete. And so that really isn't different than other VCs. Uh, and the reason is because we think that if you don't succeed at the first bottom line, if, if you don't have the requisite uh, kind of list of, of capabilities to, to be successful, then you're not going to have much impact when all is said and done. Um, so that's why it's very important to us to, to, to uh, focus on that. At the same time, we want to see that there is a, a social orientation or an environmental commitment or a commitment to diversity. I mean, whatever, whatever it is that is, that the entrepreneurial team is passionate about, we we want to just know what that is. We, we don't, we're not worried if it isn't fully expressed because uh, a young company is the best time to to develop a a social um, approach because you don't really have any culture that you've already established. So it's it's fine with us if it's all a little bit embryonic. We just work with it from there. In terms of what we won't invest in. Um, you know, I, I would say the only areas that we wouldn't invest in, which is pretty much shared by most of our colleagues in the VC world, is is uh, kind of the vice companies. Does that include, you know, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, those kind of typical vice companies? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cigarettes. Yep. All of that. Got it. But there, there aren't that many venture-backed companies in that field anyway. Right, right. Um, and so in your pursuit of kind of top-tier ret- uh, performance, um, what are the return targets that you're looking for in the investments that you um, are evaluating? And then kind of how does that roll up into the fund in aggregate? Well, what we, um, what we set ourselves as a goal is to, to kind of in our vintage year, you know, when the fund is, is closed, that's the vintage year, to be you know, in the the top quartile or the top group of investors in that in that cohort, and that does vary from 
year to year, and, and there are times when returns are higher and lower. So we don't really set a, an absolute number. We just want to make sure that we're we're being um, we're in the you know, the top group of the class. And to be clear, that top cohort is across venture firms, not just impact firms. Right. Got it. Right. We have from the beginning we have really strived to hold ourselves to the the metrics on the financial side of the traditional venture capital industry, because that's where A, where we all came from, and B, we fully expect this the impact approach to expand and become quite common in venture capital. So we want to be as similar as possible to what the the dominant part of the field looks like. Great. And could, could you share um, a couple of investments with us? Sure. We we are. Let's. I'll, I can show. I can share you an old one and a newer one. Um, we have a big sustainability practice, and and so we were one of the the first investors in Tesla way back in 2006, I believe. We also invested in Solar City a, a year or two later, uh, and so and worked with those companies for many years, uh, and obviously they've become quite famous and have driven a whole generation towards sustainability in, in, in transportation and energy. Um, a newer company that we've invested in is called Farmers Business Network, and now we're turning uh, to agriculture. Uh, we're, this is a big data company that allows farmers to uh, make better decisions and, and have a better livelihood on the farm uh, by getting access to the data from uh, millions of acres of farms around them um, and allows them to see what works and what doesn't and also allows FBN to to use a, to develop the, the data into a platform the company to sell services and products um, to farmers at at very good prices so really tr- transforming the the flow of information historically, which has been kind of controlled by the big agribusiness companies and the middlemen and and putting the farmer in the center of that information flow. So, so back when you were making that early investment in Tesla, could you see at that point what it would become? And we, we I guess we still don't know what it will become because there's a lot of um, a lot of runway for them. Sure. Um, I mean, I would I think it's pretty hard to for anyone to say in those early days that they knew Tesla would become, you know, such a, a worldwide phenomenal brand. Um, I mean, that doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. We, we certainly felt confident that the company would be successful and that the, the thesis that people wanted to unhinge their driving from fossil fuels was a sound one. They just didn't want to do it in a way that sacrificed all the things they loved about cars. And so that fundamental uh, investment premise um, has obviously come true, and the world has organized around a low-carbon future. So um, that has helped to build the ability of Tesla to become such a uh, prominent brand. But I I would not say we predicted it would be quite so colossal. And with the more recent investment that you mentioned, are you seeing kind of the 
power of data and technology to be pretty transformative in some industries that have, you know, maybe integrated it in some way in their processes, but still have a lot of, um, you know, room to to capitalize on that? Absolutely. I mean, we're everyone talks about data transparency. Well, it doesn't exist in a lot of sectors, and agriculture is one of them. Uh, Farmers Business Network and others are are changing that. But you know, for a hundred years, the, the you know the farmer really has not had the ability to have access to crowdsourced huge, uh, data in large amounts, which is you know how a lot of decisions should be made. So uh, this is pretty revolutionary, but it's inevitable. Uh, if if we're going to feed the planet that's you know growing at such a increasing rate, if we want to have more sustainable agriculture, if we want to allow farmers to make a good living on their farms and, and inspire future generations to do the same, uh, the farmer needs to to have more influence and more power to control his or her own, her own destiny. Great. Um, so we've seen you uh, in a lot of places. We saw you at the GSG Summit uh, in, in Chicago uh, over the summer. Uh, what are you doing? I mean, we see you do a lot already. Uh, what are you doing to advance the field of impact investing? Well, at BBL, we feel that part of our mission as a firm is to advance impact investing because we are pioneers in it and we have a lot of stories we can tell and, and, and lessons we can teach as, as well as learn. But we, we've got a lot, we have what a lot of people don't have, which is over you know a decade of experience. And so we feel that it's our job in addition to helping our companies and, and helping make great uh, social and financial impact um, it's our job to spread the word and, and help people understand what impact investing is. Uh, and so we're very committed to, we, we do a lot of writing, we do speaking, we do teaching. Um, and we, we really feel that this, this is something that can help grow the capacity of the field. And if our stories can be helpful to others that are just starting and, and give them a sense of what what is the art of the possible, then we feel we're doing our job. And what are you seeing as far as demand for impact investing funds and also uh, just on the entrepreneur side as far as uh, supply of impact-oriented um, entrepreneurs? Well, the good news is that impact investing is getting more popular every minute both on the, the side of the people that have the funds to invest and on the side of the people that want to create the next crop of great companies. And so the first driver uh, on the fund side is that people look around them and see that government and, and philanthropy are not enough. I mean, we still have lots of problems in this world that, that have not been solved that way. And so uh, in, in these times, especially, investors feel that the private sector, that entrepreneurship specifically, can, can play a role in solving some of the world's most difficult problems and turn them into opportunities to uh, make great returns. So it's not just, I mean, while a lot of people write about millennials and the, the inheritance of wealth by um, you know, this generation, which is all true, 
uh, it really is a, a fairly broad-based phenomenon. And, and in our last one, we were oversubscribed, uh, you know, could not handle all the capacity, and it, it was a diverse array of investors. So the, the timing for jumping into in impact investing now is, is, is very opportune. On the entrepreneur side, it's, it's very similar. Uh, entrepreneurs have always been motivated to create great companies and make a splash and make, make themselves known as um, disrupting the past and building a better future. Today's entrepreneurs really want to expand on that and, and make the world a better place. And, and that takes a lot of different forms from sustainability to health to financial inclusion. I mean, we could go on and on. Um, but today's entrepreneurs more than ever are motivated to achieve that broader success. And add on to that, do you see entrepreneurs more interested in working with general partners who are also supporting them in this area as well? So more folks like you versus maybe you know, the incumbent um, venture firms? Uh, we, what we see is that entrepreneurs want to have an, an impact voice at the table. It may not be the only voice, and you know, often in our model of investing in venture capital, you have a few investors. You don't just have one investor. Uh, so we, we see that entrepreneurs, many of them insist on having an impact VC as part of their board, as part of their financial structure, uh, whether it's the only one. It usually isn't, but in some cases it is. Um, but this this is a phenomenon that we noticed a few years ago that people would come to us specifically because they wanted to make sure that they they represented impact in their their company's evolution and that obviously didn't happen in the early days so yeah i think there's there's a more of a demand for it now so the impact investing space is growing um, your funds are oversubscribed. Clearly, people are interested in the space. And um, you've been doing this. You're a pioneer within the space itself. So I'm sure, can you share with our, our listeners what are some lessons learned what, uh, based upon your experience and the type of investments that you've made and maybe what you've um, sort of some key words of wisdom Well, there are so many lessons to be learned. <laughs> it's a, it's a very difficult business. I mean, everyone focuses on on you know the successes and the the highs, um, and those those are wonderful. But you know, this is this is a business where failure is is kind of expected and, and part of what you do. And so, and and especially when you're developing new businesses, for example, in transportation or, or energy that. Where there hasn't been a lot of innovation over the past hundred years, there are a lot of incumbents that fight hard to keep the status quo. So I would say one of the lessons that we've learned is that you really um, need to think about your companies in that broader sense, and don't be afraid of a policy um, because while there there are venture capital companies that don't really interface with policy. Impact investing usually does because wherever there's a huge trillion dollar problem, there's usually a government 
role in in its history somewhere. So you do have to use policy as part of your toolkit in changing from one century to another, from the 20th to the 21st century. Uh, you're not all, and you have to understand that you're not always going to win those battles. But you know, as long as you win more than you lose, you'll be moving moving your company's agenda forward. Um, so that that inclusiveness across sectors is incredibly important, it, uh, and it, and it also includes the philanthropic sector because it's you know a lot of foundations have done the work that helps you understand, say what what what's the extent of childhood obesity and diabetes and what are the implications for longevity. I mean, our, one of our companies, Revolution Foods, which serves healthy lunches to low-income school children, was based on that, that research from the public and the not-for-profit sector. Uh, and then what, what happened is that we used entrepreneurship to scale a solution. So I think it's, um, it's, it's a really important lesson to learn that you can't be, you can't have your blinders on. You can't pretend that policy isn't playing a role. Uh, and, and instead you really need to embrace it or at least have someone in your firm that knows how to manage that with your company. It does feel like we're on an upward trajectory for impact investing, but given where we are, are we at a state where more is better regardless of what that more means? What do you think about that? I feel that while we are growing, we're still pretty tiny. <laughs> so, yeah, we do need to have more people in this field. We need more funds. Uh, I mean, I speak at a lot of business schools, and I, you know, I have a concern that there's so much interest in joining this field that, and there aren't that many DBLs out there. I mean, so anyone, anytime I see that a Bain Capital or TPG or you know, some of the bigger firms are coming into this, I'm standing up and applauding. And while there may be differences of, of focus and people can define impact in different ways, um, I, I feel that, you know, these are these are professionals, these everyone wants to further their their reputation and so we'll be able to make it work. So I I view it as a very big positive that we're seeing uh, more, more uh, new funds created and and existing quality funds move into the space. So, in that spirit, in the spirit of uh, uh, your uh, your observations regarding the upward trajectory of the industry, uh, what advice would you give to people looking to pursue careers in impact investing? For people, for 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 young people coming into impact investing, it's important to understand that there are a lot of paths that you can take, and it may not be the right thing to do just at a business school or at a college to work in a, a venture capital firm. Um, I mean, it's one path, and and obviously it works for some folks, but there are lots of ways that you can learn important trends and experiences by by working either in a startup, uh, impact-oriented startup, get that operational exposure, or work in a more traditional um, finance firm to just get some of your analytical skills pulled together and get experience with that. 
or you could even work as a in one of the asset management firms that 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 helps put impact funds together with investors. And the reason, I mean, so those are three examples. There are others, but those are three well-known paths. And the reason that they're they're helpful is that you're you're going to learn a facet of company building, investing, um, what investors want. Uh, you're just you're going to be in the mix, and then you're also going to be exposed to the network of impact investing. And you'll be able to make make contacts, go to conferences, uh, see what you know. If you're in an entrepreneurial company, see what the board members are like, uh, and and what the challenges are. And all of that will be very helpful uh, at the point where you jump in and decide to either join a an investment firm with impact as it's focused, or or uh, create one yourself. So I, you know, I wouldn't worry too much if if the job you have out of college or business school is not exactly the one that that you think you want going forward. Just make sure that you set some guidelines for yourself in terms of how long you're going to stay at at a particular place and what are the criteria for staying and or moving on, so that you you do keep that long term goal in mind. That's great advice. I'm sure our listeners are very appreciative for that, um, that sort of background and, and information. Um, so what are your thoughts on diversity within impact investing? And um, I guess, like, what has been your experience as a woman within the space? Well, we're excited about the role that impact investing can play in promoting more diversity. Uh, it, it is one of the social metrics that's uh, extremely important for kind of all the obvious reasons. And it is a metric where venture capital has underperformed. You know, we don't, uh, you know, what it's like 9%, 6% or, of VCs are, are women. I, I mean, I can't remember the exact number, but it's a very small percentage and then a very small percentage of of um, entrepreneurs, venture-backed entrepreneurs are women. Same goes for minorities. Um, and so there's, we have a lot of work to do. At the same time, I, th- I think we are making progress. There are more women-led funds than there have ever been. There, you know, we, we have in our portfolio in Fund 3, I think we have about 60% of our investments have a woman founder or a woman uh, senior executive. Um, and that's way, you know, way above average. So it's very true that the more diversity you have in the VC GP world, the fund managers, uh, the more diverse entrepreneurial um, profile will be. I mean, I don't know if it's causation or correlation, but it's, you know, I can definitely see that. Um, so it's important to to keep caps and, and have the metrics to show where you are and where you want to make progress. And, and that's exactly how we started. We actually, since we were place-based and we're measuring all you know job quality, uh, we didn't actually measure diversity in our earliest days. It wasn't quite as front and center as, as it is now. But one day we just kind of sitting at our conference table, we, we said, we looked at a list of our CEOs and we said, wow, we have a fair amount of women and so we counted and we said we figured out our percentage back then 
something like 27%. And, but we didn't know what the national average was. We didn't know if we were above or below the norm. And so we found, it took us a while to find a study, um, but we did find one study and, and the average was 2.7%. So, you know, we were like an order of magnitude above the national average, which was, a you know, was pathetic then as it is now. Um, but so from that day on, we said, well, gosh, when we kind of, we're doing well at this compared to the average, um, but we weren't even measuring it. So let's start measuring it and hope that we can do better. And that's so far what's happened. Great. So what do you uh, see the impact investing field in uh, three years or five years and beyond? Well, what we see is that there will be more impact players at the table. There'll be more companies out there that are maturing and we'll have some, you know, a whole new crop of successes so that people will be able to identify uh, brands and, and logos that, that they love that are, that are impact logos and, and such. So uh, we feel that the field will continue to get bigger and, and be popular, you know, over the long term, we, what we hope is that, you know, all, all venture capital investing will have an impact angle to it uh, because it makes for a great uh, competitive uh, financial return. And it just, it's a more interesting way to, to invest and to build your career. So at some point we'd, we'd love to see that uh, impact investing was actually um, part of, of venture capital investing itself. So, Nancy, you shared um, one, a food uh, company that you're invested in and the um, farming company as well. There, that, there seems to be you know, a concentration there. Is that um, an area that you see a lot of growth in, or are there other areas that you see you know, a lot more um, potential and opportunity kind of now and going forward? We have a food and ag practice, and, and we've had it for a while, but we've added to it uh, with a few companies over the past couple of years. Uh, it's it's incredibly popular. It's as as we see the need to feed the, the planet in a sustainable way. Uh, you know, uh, farming generates thirty percent of the carbon on this planet and employs many, many people all over the, the world, and we need to do better, as, as we talked about. And then um, there's just the, the food angle is connected to health and wellness and sustainability. People want different kinds of protein. They want organic. They want, um, they want natural. They want alternatives to um, overfished species. I mean, there's just, there's a long, long list of, of um eating patterns and nutritional preferences that are reshaping, you know, the, the grocery store aisle. And so there's, there's a, a lot of activity on that front in venture right now. And any other areas that you're seeing that type of um, activity? I would say that financial inclusion is, is very active. The, the recognition that um, financial 
services for the poor or for certain students, student loans, just that there are ways to improve that experience and and offer better coverage and and better quality service um, and bring bring people that haven't really been marketed to in terms of financial services, bring them into uh, that market. And and so that's a large opportunity for example, uh, going after the food stamps population uh, at Revolution Foods, you know that that whole business model was originally built on the free and reduced lunch program, uh, a government program that subsidizes lunches in, in low-income schools. So there's a, a lot of um, a lot of populations that have, that you know the traditional financial services industry just never went after that is now. Uh, getting a lot of attention. So I think that's another field that is growing rapidly. So what does uh, DBL plan to do next? Are you looking to raise a new fund? What do you have in the pipeline currently? Well, we're still very much involved with with Fund 3, the, the fund that we raised, the $400 million fund in 2015. We're, we're still investing. We're, we've got a great crop of companies in there that we're helping to grow. Uh, we've got some that are you know, probably going to uh, either go public or be acquired, I'd say, in the next 24 months, and then some that are still gestating. So we're, we're quite busy with, with what we're up to. Um, you know, obviously, we're here for the long haul, and at some point, we'll raise another fund. We don't know when that will be, uh, but we are... We we enjoy we enjoy this practice immensely. We're we feel that we're making a difference, and uh, we'd like to continue to grow and 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 serve an ever broader array of of both entrepreneurs and social needs. Do Do you see the exit environment for the types of companies you invest in? You know, more favorable kind of compared to others, just given all of the. Um, I guess, characteristics of the field that you've discussed? Well, in any venture portfolio, there's going to be a distribution curve. And there's, you know, hopefully, not on wood, there's, there's always a few that are of that caliber and, and just have, have, have grown and face a large enough market that they are IPO candidates. And you, you never quite know how many of those will be in your portfolio. Um, and, uh, we see some of those in in fund in in our funds right now. That, as I just mentioned, we, we see um, a handful of IPO candidates in in the portfolio over the next few years. Uh, and then there are others that are fantastic companies, but they, they just make sense as parts of larger companies. So they're more of a M and A exit. Um, and so I, I can't really answer the question: Are are impact companies more likely to go? public or not. I just don't think the sample size is that much, is, is big enough rather. Certainly when you, when you, when everything clicks and you're in a huge market, be it transportation or energy or ag or food or finance, uh, then you have a pretty good chance of going public because uh, there are, there are so many names from the 20th century in, in those fields um, that require really a 21st century version to, to kind of carry, to pass the torch. 
So we, we do feel that uh, impact companies, if they can, if they can execute and, and scale, have have what it takes to, to be public companies and and become the companies, the icons that we identify with, uh, replacing some of those 20th century names that have kind of become dated. Well, I think that that's the best way to end our conversation. I think you're absolutely right. And we're so glad for all of the work that you've been doing. And um, we look forward to see um, the, the, see, uh, the level of impact that these investments will have um, in the future. So thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the conversation. And uh, to all the people listening, I, I wish you all, all the best for your, your careers and impact. Impact on Record is a podcast about impact investing. If you'd like to hear more, visit iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out impactonrecord.com. There you can learn more about our guests and the Impact on Record trio. If you haven't heard it here, it's not on record. Impact on Record is proud to announce that we will be hosting Yale's inaugural Impact Investing Conference, where we will be convening leaders, educators, and pioneers in the impact investing space. We are creating a community of impact. So join us on April 27th to share your perspective and learn more about where the future of impact investing is headed. The conference is sponsored by the International Center for Finance at the Yale School of Management, and we welcome you to join the conversation. To register, please visit IORImpactInvestingConference.com.